You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling in the spirits to join us. And so I call out from my heart to your ancestors, to all those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful in your ancestral lines. I call out to those ancestors to be with us here today. And I call out to my ancestors and all of those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful in my ancestral line to be with us here today. And I reach out down those lines all the way to the first man and the first woman. And I am reminded in this calling out to our ancestors that we are all of one family. All the way back to the beginning, we begin with the same first people. So I call out to these ancestors all the way back to the beginning, to the first man and the first woman. I ask these ancestors to be with us here today, to help us to remember, to help us what it, what it, help us to remember what it means in life to follow a path of mastery, to respond to the call of our soul in this life, to have that heart memory of why we are here. And I call out to these ancestors to be with us here, to be with us here, with the living, that we are better able to hear that call and live it in our lives. And so I call out to these ancestors, in spite of all we have forgotten and all we do not remember to do, I call out to these ancestors to be here to remind us that we are each here to follow a path of mastery and to help us to hear that call in our lives. So ancestors, be with us here today. Help us to remember why we are here. To remember that memory we carry in our heart. And to find the courage to do those things we have come here to do. So ancestors, help us in this way. And let us reach down from our heart to our belly, down our legs, into the earth, all the way to the heart of this very special ancestor, the earth. Without the earth and her own dreaming of life, There would be no life on this planet. There would be nothing here for us to enjoy. And so we call out to the earth to hear our gratitude for the beauty of this day, for the wonder of life and the miracle that we each hold within ourselves as the living, to be here as part of this great web of life. And we give thanks to the earth for the miracle of this day, the wonder of her dreaming, and all that makes this day unfold in a way that is absolutely precious and magical, and demanding, and challenging. So we give thanks to the earth, and we call up her energy so that we have the ability to ground and connect, to feel a place, to feel a sense of home, and to feel a sense of belonging. We call out to the earth to help us to feel the connection and the interconnection that is the true nature of existence here as part of life. And we ask the earth to give us the energy to be able to feel each within ourselves 
our place in the great oneness of all things. And so we call out to the earth and draw this energy up into our body, to draw this energy in to give us the wisdom of manifestation that we may be informed by this ancestor to do what it is that we have come here to do. And with this energy moving in our bodies from our bellies to our hearts and our hearts to our minds, we draw the energy of the earth up and reach all the way up to the highest power of the universe. Drawing the silvery energy of the earth up to connect with that highest power above and to call this energy of the sky down, this divine energy. And by whatever name you call it, I invite you to call it down into yourself and into our proceedings here today. And to call this energy into your day, that your day is filled with blessings. We call in this energy to draw down the energy of protection, to draw in the energy of generosity and benevolence, and to find the inspiration in our own lives for devotion, for excellence, and for our ability to practice that which must be practiced to hone the skills that allow us to find our soul's true calling. So we call down the sky energy from above and ask for the inspiration and illumination and innovation that will help us to do what we have come here to do. We draw the energy of the sky into our bodies and let it mix and merge and dance with the energy of the earth. And from this place of balance within ourselves, we call out to the energy of the heart to awaken and be with us here today. And we ask the heart to open into the great crucible of change that it is designed to be. And we draw up the energies that hold the fiery passions of our bellies that help us to know why we are here. And we call in the energies from above, from our head and from our throat. And we call these energies down that we might feel the clarity. And we ask these energies to merge and dance in the heart that we could know why we are here and find in our heart the courage to live it. And with the energy of the heart awakened with our own consciousness and intent, we reach out to feel the ancestors around us, the earth below, the sky above, and our helping spirits all around. And with these energies present, we give thanks. And begin the day. And I also want to give thanks to those of you who listen and support the show. I want to give thanks to Joan and Anne and Jeannie and all those of you who have donated financially to the show in this past week. Um, Each of you helps the show to stay on the air and live and free for those who have access to the internet. There are um, now over three years of shows once a week all free and available and if these shows are meaningful to you if they move you in any way even into irritation and frustration um, i ask you to consider to donate to the show to keep the energy that is extended out to make the show happen my energy ken's energy a co-creator network and the energy of all of those listeners who are supporting the show i ask you to consider to become someone who also supports the show so the show can grow strong and that the cycle of energy is full and abundant Um, i give thanks for those of you that have sent in your questions thanks those of you have sent in your show ideas and thanks to those of you that link to the show on your websites and bring these ideas up in your shamanic circles and all of the many ways that you are helping these ideas to grow stronger in our lives so i give thanks all of you Um, who are supporting and I can ask those of you who have not supported the show but do listen to consider some means of support to help the show to grow strong and make sure that the energy um, is a nourishing cycle and not a depleting cycle and if you don't know how to support the show and you haven't found this yet because you connect to the show through iTunes for example or through co-creator network um, there is a website for the show whyshamanismnow.com 
All of the shows are also archived there. There is also a support button there, which you may click and offer any amount of money, large or small. And I greatly appreciate all the small donations that have started coming in because many, many small donations um, will help to keep the show alive. I'm also grateful for the generous donations um, as well. Um, and understand that all of these monies go directly to paying the bills. And there are bills for keeping the show happening. So thank you for helping me to do that. Let's see. So today's show is in response to some questions. And it's called Becoming a Shaman. And it's in response to some questions of people saying, you know, I've done my training and how do I do this? And I'm pretty sure the show is not really going to end up being exactly what those people who asked those questions were hoping for. (laughs) But I'll do my best to really respond to this question about... um, becoming a shaman and how do we do this in the contemporary world we are live today so if you would like to call in with questions about the show topic you are welcome to the number is 512-772-1938 or you can skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or you are welcome to email me at christina at lastmasscenter.org um, if you want to contact me, just go to lastmasscenter.org to the contact section and co- you can contact me most easily in that way. Um, all right. So today in the contemporary Western thinking world, we have a few different kinds of sh- contemporary shamanic healers. We have the shamans who practice from an unbroken shamanic tradition that they were born into And we usually refer to these people as indigenous shamans or something to that effect, traditional shamans. Um, There are also shamans who are contemporary non-indigenous people um, who travel to traditional people for training. Um, I always think of um, Gretchen McKay, who we interviewed on the show um, a while back. I can't even remember when, as the, as the most profound example of this, simply because she's this tiny little white woman who traveled all the way to become initiated as a um, Zulu Sangoma with a bunch of very large, very dark people. And it's um, a, a really great contrast, really shows that for many people, their call to shamanism makes absolutely no sense based on their genetic ancestry in this lifetime. But the call is a calling to the soul. And um, there are many people like Gretchen who have been called to train in a certain tradition. And that is another way that people become shamans in this world today. And then there are also contemporary people who are not indigenous people who come to their shamanic practice through a non-traditional path. In other words, they don't commit to years of indigenous, of training with indigenous people, but they simply learn their practice Um, through working with their helping spirits. Um, That also usually involves some skill training with a teacher along the way, but that ultimately these contemporary non-traditional shamans are working, if they're working authentically, they're working as guided by their helping spirits. And so these are the different kinds of um, you know, big, big, broad groups of contemporary shamanic healers. Um, and even understanding this, um, it is still challenging to navigate the shamanic waters in these contemporary times. I think it's challenging for people who are looking for shamanic healing, but understand it is also challenging for people who feel called 
or people who end up in this shamanic world, sort of finding a home for themselves and not exactly knowing what to do with those feelings. And I think this is perhaps the greatest challenge, is this place in the middle. In other words, not the person who's simply looking for a skilled and gifted shamanic healer, or people that feel strongly through their life experience that they know they have been called. The more challenging place is this place in between. Um, And part of the reason it's a challenge is because we as contemporary Western thinking people need to truly understand that coming into shamanism, into the shamanic skill set in a sense, and the way of life that unfolds from that can be deeply nourishing and deeply healing. It's sustaining and inspiring. And for many people, um, coming in, learning shamanic skills and beginning to journey and working with their helping spirits and sharing this with others feels like coming home. And even so, we must understand that this inner peace, that the blessings, that the ecstasy that comes with this experience Um, is the way of life that is meant for everyone. We are all meant to live in a state of inner peace, in a state of blessing and ecstasy, that this, this way of life is actually the grand design. And this is how we are all meant to live in this world, all of us. So this feeling isn't the call. The call to the path is far more demanding. And that simply finding peace, connection to spirit, a sense of ecstasy and a way to begin to engage with your life in and of itself simply means you're finally gaining the skills to become human. And this is largely what Steve Baer and I have talked about a couple times on this show and Steve wrote about for the journal, um, the Society of Shamanic Practitioners journals, that the helping spirits want us to be better humans and that this dynamic relationship between humans who are manifest in form and their helping spirits who are not manifest in form and that dynamic relationship is as it should be. That is being human and it absolutely means nothing as to whether or not you're called to shamanism. So this, the feeling then of connection, of things coming together, this is how we are meant to experience life. We are all, no matter our calling in life, no matter our work in the world, no matter what we are doing, we are meant to be doing this in relationship with spirit. And if we do that, we feel a connection and an interconnection that we often feel a feeling of harmony and we feel inspired and we feel that things are coming together. Um, And this is um, as it should be. It is not, um, well, let's say this way. It is significant. It does not have the significance that most people assign it because what we refuse as contemporary people to get a grip on And I believe this is because of how we have been trained politically and religious-wise. But what we refuse to get a grip on is that living in a state of well-being is everyone's birthright. And that we can come to that 
through our relationship with spirit, a working relationship with spirit, and through practice and through life experiences and coming to understand those life experiences accurately. So the thing about then feeling your calling in shamanism. So what does it mean then to be called to be a shaman, to do that healing work? Now, let me just pause here a moment because some of you understand this and some of you don't, depending on your experience. But as soon as we learn to journey, we are actually capable of journeying for someone else. As soon as we learn any of the shamanic healing skills, we are theoretically capable of doing that with somebody else. None of that means you're called to be a shaman. It's important to understand, especially the ability to journey and divine for another and help people with the things that they can't see in their own lives. That's another part of what it means to be in community with your fellow humans is to use your relationship with spirit to help others to see past their blind spots and to hear past their deaf spots and to feel past their numb spots. And that we are meant to be in good, nourishing, rich relationship with each other. This is another aspect of what life would be like if we lived with this understanding. So... The ability to help someone with your shamanic skills isn't a call to shamanism. It doesn't really mean anything other than the fact that you're gaining your skill set. What really means the call is beginning to happen is actually something that is more demanding, more agitating, more irritating in a sense. And that would be the rise of your own passion your own soul's deep inner passion, your own soul's deep knowing of why it's here, igniting your passion to rise up from your belly, to meet the knowing that you're having in your experience and infuse it with something more, something that's more pushy, more demanding, something that won't let you sleep at night for a good way, good reason. So this is more what the call feels like. And so this is part of what I mean about how this middle place where you're not clear about your call yet and you're not just a person looking for shamanic healing, but you're somewhere in the middle. It's part of the reason this is so confusing for people because as contemporary Americans at least, but I think this is true in much of the Western thinking world, our lives are unhealthy on many levels. And I'm not going to go into that because that's not the point of today's show, but our lives are deeply, profoundly unhealthy. The normal, good American life is unhealthy in its values, its standards, in its expectations. And so for many people, they come into shamanism, they gain these skills, they feel they're coming home, they begin to heal that unhealthiness in their contemporary life. And that is good. It's brilliant. And it's not a call to shamanism as a healer. It's a call back to your life, to your birthright, to your humanity. And it allows you to create a firm foundation to do what your soul has come here to do. To use these shamanic skills to assist you in discovering your soul's purpose, which may have absolutely nothing to do with being a shaman. 
So part of the art of life is to find your gifts and to infuse them with your passion so that you do in your life what you have come here to do. And I would add in that to have the patience to deal with the minutia and the headache of contemporary life of the stuff that needs to happen so that you're able to do what you've come here to do. (laughs) And we need to have patience for that because as my helping spirits have been working with me hard over the last handful of months, everyone is born into a time and every time has its annoying issues. I mean, just think back you know, a few thousand years, beheading was a problem. (laughs) I mean, granted, it's still a problem in certain places on the planet today. But nonetheless, it's not a general practice in America, for example, for people to be beheaded for believing the wrong things or for treason or whatever. Okay. So my point is every time comes with its annoying, problematic, um, uh, higher belief conflicting issues. This is our time and we need to have patience, everyone. We always need to learn to have patience with the nature of your time and to feel your passion, to let it infuse your gifts and feel the inspiration to go forward and to do what you've been called to do here anyway. Now the call into a path of mastery should feel demanding. That that passion rising is not so much a sense of peace and harmony that the call is annoying frankly and and having spent really the majority of my adult life pursuing two calls each of with which are strict mistresses is one was dancing first ballet then modern dance both professionally and then shamanism is i've spent my entire life responding to what I felt was my call into a path of mastery, none of which were ever going to give me any sort of peace of mind around, you know, finances and homes and all that stuff that makes us feel safe and cozy. And so I speak not only from my experience shamanically, but also as a dancer, just from having been the type of person who has given over her life to following a path that made no sense and brought no safety or security. So I'm speaking today from that place, which perhaps is a bias. I will freely admit that. So I will admit that fully. I am deeply biased through my experience in my life, through my research about shamanism, which was six and a half years spent researching first contact information through my time with indigenous shamans and through my conversations with my colleagues, I have developed this bias. Shamanism is a calling, period. I do not believe that we choose ourselves to be shamans. Now, obviously, a person can choose to be a shaman, go get training, hang up a shingle and do that. That's not my point. That happens all over the United States and all over the Western world right now. So yes, that can happen. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But my point is, is that in its authentic mode, we are called by spirit to do this work. And that that call is demanding and irritating and pushy. And that it is not simply that sense of peace and harmony. 
that I would suggest that that sense of peace and harmony and that feeling of coming home is you're coming into your full humanity and you're finding the skill set to be able to continue to develop and exercise that humanity. And with that foundation, you would then ask your soul, why am I here? Okay. So shamanism is a calling. And in that, it is an art. And as with any art, it is a path of mastery, which means that you will spend your entire life following that path and still only come to know all that you don't know. It is that big. That and all, every path of mastery is that way. And this means that if you are in the current of that calling, that it will simultaneously kick your ass and inspire and elevate you in equal measures. That, and in particular, particular to shamanism, to being the shaman as a calling, in particular to that, that calling is known for a high level of ego death, constant, continuous ego death. Just when you think you're getting the hang of it, you get killed again, deeply, profoundly, and painfully. And that this goes on and on throughout your life. Now, the things that were troubling 10 years ago aren't troubling anymore, that those things have become part of the nature of your practice. But if you are in the flow of the call as a path of mastery, there will be constant requirement of discipline and of practice, of understanding your experiences accurately And in that sense where we don't understand them accurately, having spirit come in and completely kick your ass and get you to get it one way or another. And yet at the same time, it is a path of inspiration and elevation of the spirit. So what am I going on and on about? So just let me share a couple stories from my life. Now, one of the things, if you go to New York as a young 20-something, 30-something, you will run into gobs and gobs of people that you may aspire to date or be friends with or whatever, and most of them are there to act. And what you realize after a while, especially if you're not there to act and you're just observing this from the outside, is that the gross majority of these people have no talent to act bless their hearts, but they don't. And so if you ask them, you know, why are you doing this? Because it's a hell of a lot of work to try to act and go to auditions and keep getting rejected and and the whole time you're doing some job you don't really want to be doing so that you can afford to live in New York so you can continue to go to auditions and be rejected. So it's not really very much fun. So you ask these people, why are you doing this? And, And what they say is that because in their acting classes that they took, It's the time that they felt most connected to themselves and most aware, most self-aware. And that for everything their contemporary life gave them, their acting classes were the place that they were able to feel most connected. So the point of this then is, is, or the misunderstanding of this then is that because I felt most connected in acting class, I should go be an actor. Instead of realizing acting class was wonderful because it taught me skills to be connected, skills for self-reflection, skills to understand myself more deeply. And I need to continue to pursue these practices for an ongoing and continuing, continually deepening sense of myself. And that that 
relationship, that quality of that relationship with yourself, frankly, is often lost when people move to New York to try to act. And so, again, here is this sort of contemporary confusion about what what these experiences mean when we're learning about ourselves in life. Another example of this, and this this has been going on actually for decades, um, but you know, about twenty years ago, people. Um, in larger and larger numbers started having the courage and the ability because there were healers and practitioners people had the ability to go out into the world and get great alternative therapies alternative to ama certified therapies and for many things particularly the things that the ama the allopathic medical system doesn't have good solutions for it now as always the healthcare system has great solutions for certain things but there are many things it doesn't deal with well. And alternative therapies have been very beneficial in those ways. And what scads of people did was they found that cranial sacral saved them from surgery and pain or, or this therapy or that therapy or this nutrition or whatever it was, whatever this alternative practice was, saved them from suffering, saved them from surgery, saved them from a life of illness. And so they quit their job and they go become a whatever, a massage therapist, a cranial sacral practitioner, a whatever, and they commit their lives fully and openly. They commit their lives to that practice and it doesn't go so well. So what happened? So what happened is that in that healing crisis, the person's inner healer woke up. The problem is We still need to awaken the inner warrior, the inner teacher, and the inner visionary before we have our full platform to go forward in our life. But the problem is, since we just quit our jobs and became a healer because we thought that's what it meant to have our inner healer wake up, we've just become a healer and our practice isn't really going very well, so we now have no resources to continue our training and development. And this is the big problem that I see is there is way too many alternative therapy practitioners out there who are in it because it saved them instead of recognizing, wow, that experience woke up my own inner healer. Let me continue on a path of inner awakening until I begin to find then this platform, build this platform that I can extend into my soul's purpose. And so... I think that this is also something that happens in the realm of shamanism. People feel so much that they have come home in the shamanic skill set and in the shamanic communities and in the shamanic journey circles. And that the shamanic healing has helped them so much and their inner healer awakens that they're sure all of this is the calling to become a shaman. And I would strongly encourage you to question that. The calling is more frightening, it's more demanding, it's more irritating, and it isn't just you awakening to yourself. That's what we're all supposed to be here doing. The call to shamanism moves beyond that into another realm. So, we cannot, and we cannot follow the call to shamanism from that naive place, like this person who, you know, Massage saved their life, saved them from surgery, saved them from, you know, 
disc surgery and fusion or whatever. And so they went off and became a massage therapist. That open-hearted commitment, you know, if I do it, I love the money will come. Commitment came from a very naive place. Now, when we move into the call from shamanism, we need to move in trust and we need to move in vulnerability in terms of working with spirit, but we cannot move from naivete. And so we really need to move from a place of self-awareness and from a place of maturity and development into that call. Another thing to understand, of course, is that we all have abilities to express ourselves. We can all paint, we can all sing, we can all dance. We all have the ability to express ourselves. We all have intuition. We all have a bit of clairvoyance. We all have a bit of clairaudience. We all have a bit of clairsentience. We can all journey. We can all communicate with spirit. That these are all our array of the ways that we move from the heart and body in communication with the world. And that these are natural, these are normal, these are the expressive arts, and some of us have gifts in some of these realms. And some of us get training. Some of us have gifts that get trained, and these are all very different things. So one of the things that I saw in the research in the encyclopedia of shamanism is the example found in shamanic cultures that have a formal training program that goes through levels of initiation and often when you sort of top out at a level of initiation it defines the type of shamanic practitioner that you are for like the first level would be diviner usually and then the next level would be sort of diviner and basically cleansings or blessings you know and then the next level might you know moving on through these levels of sort of the depth of the work, but it's not so much the depth of the work so much as it is your gift in working with spirit, in, in, in being willing to, your gift in a sense for personal transformation, to get out of the way through your personal work and allow yourself to go with spirit, to, to go deeper and deeper into the precise ritual, the precise ceremony, the precise actions that need to happen for this particular client's problems. And so in these systems, in these traditional shamanic systems that have structured training, so the Zulu would be one, there are different Asian cultures that similarly have these kinds of very structured trainings that have very clear standards for what must be accomplished to be able to move through the next level of initiation. And so these are, this is not true cross-culturally about shamanism, but I want to highlight just these cultures that have this kind of shamanic training. In these cultures, there are the people that feel called to shamanism, often because they're shamans in the family. And these people, in a sense, want to be shamans. And so they go to the shaman school of the culture and they get trained. And what the shamanic teachers are looking for is, does this person have the gift And often, in spite of everything, they simply don't. They have the natural ability to work intuitively, the natural ability to journey, the natural ability to enter trance states that everybody has, but they don't have a particular gift. And so these people are often still sort of acknowledged as shamanic practitioners, but the name of that kind of shamanic practitioner implies um, 
sort of like scholarly shaman or trained shaman versus inspired shaman. And so it's a kind of shaman that can do the training. And this person is usually enormously sincere, has a huge, deep heart committed into this. And so in a sense, we would say that the person has the heart for the work, the discipline, the practice, all of that. In fact, they have to practice even more because they don't have the gift. And so this person is someone who has the heart for the shamanic work, but not the gift. And so they are often acknowledged as shamans, but not to the same degree. And the name that they carry implies that. Um, The other kind of person that moves through this training is someone who may or may not want to be a shaman, but the gift that they have demands that they get it trained or it begins to harm them or harm others in their family. And so these are people who both have the gift and get the training. And if they can surrender through the training to that relationship with spirit and frankly, a certain degree of peace that comes from having finally surrendered to this demand of the call, that these people ultimately through the training show that they have both the heart, the ability to develop the heart for it and the gift and that these people are considered, um, you know, the inspired shamans, basically, those who are truly working with spirit and spirit is moving through them constantly revitalizing the authenticity of the work. Now, the third kind of person is a person who does have the gift. Usually it's coming down through the line. A lot of people in the family have the gift, right? But they have no discipline and no willingness to train it. And, um, These people often refuse to work um, sort of with any discipline with their spirit teachers or with human teachers. And we would say that these people have the gift, but not the heart. And And in traditional shamanic cultures, these people would not be recognized as shamans. And that's the difference in today's culture. If someone throws the gift around and can show in particular moments you know, great accuracy or great relationship with spirit, we go, ooh, shaman. But what we need to understand is in a traditional shamanic culture, they would not be acknowledged. The person who has no gift but surrendered to the training and has the heart for it would be acknowledged. But this person with the gift that will not surrender to the call, not acknowledged. And that is something we need to begin to see because we are so easily bamboozled yes people bamboozled by drama in this culture and people who are gifted that do not respond to the call and the training required in that to the the call of the helping spirits to shape and mold and train that gift into that person's soul's purpose people that refuse to surrender to that are arrogant and that arrogance is dangerous and we need to not be bamboozled by arrogant, charismatic, gifted people when it comes to shamanic work because they are dangerous. So wake up about that, people. So then what is then this actual call to give your life over to the work of being a shaman? Well, that call is really completely individual. It is not an egotistical call or a psychological call. It is not reasonable and it does not usually soothe your um, egoic needs in life nor does spirit care 
how much time and energy you've already spent in your training. If you don't have the gift, you don't have the gift. Now, in a contemporary culture, with so many, many beautiful and varied healing forms, I would strongly encourage someone who does not have a gift for shamanism to find the form that suits their passion and to not force their gift, their um, desire, their heart into the shamanic form. That we have such a wealth of opportunity for ways to work energetically with others, to let that feeling, that desire your heart has to help others to find the form that suits it, where you will find your gift. So that's just my little soapbox about that. So over the weekend, I was um, blessed with just taking an opportunity to get away with my sweetheart and studying a new Qigong form with a new master. And I feel blessed and lucky to have found my way onto this new path. And one of the things that Master Lee said over the weekend um, was that the self is not found. It comes in time through experience and practice. So if you are considering a shamanic healing practice, not just a shamanic practice where you're journeying and doing journey circles and doing healings in community and things like that, but it really you're going to be the shamanic healer. You're going to be the shaman. So your practice needs to evolve and ex- as an expression of your true self because that true self is not found. You don't just discover it, that it emerges in life through your experience and accurately understanding your experience And through practice, meaning the Qigong master saying this, right? So practice means discipline. It means doing the same practices day after day and developing and cultivating the unruly energies of the human into the tool you have come here to be for those who are coming and for those who are here with you. And so your shamanic practice needs to evolve as an expression of your true self. So it is important to ask spirit to assist you in finding a true expression of yourself, not to ask spirit to make you a shaman. Those are two very different questions and two very different paths. Practice the truest expression of your deep self. This will require that you risk everything repeatedly, that you are almost always willing to move into vulnerability, and in that you will find your power. And if in all of that, that leads you deeper into shamanism, into your shamanic practice, then there you go. But it may not, and you need to be willing to follow the deepest, truest expression of yourself. And in shamanism, you must always remember that you do not know. Shamanic healing is a practice of divination, of asking spirit. No matter what you think you know, ask spirit. Lately, um, because I've been thankfully getting more and more people coming into my trainings that have skills, one of the things I see, however, is an example of contemporary practitioners who actually have more skills. They've been to more trainings than I have. And they know things, right? They already know. Um, And they shift around this and that in the healing work that they do because they know this and they know that, but they don't solve the issue at the source. 
And that actually then to not solve the issue at the source but just move things around based on what you know from all the training and the skills that you have, this actually makes the problem worse in the long run. So it, it takes one problem, it solves one problem for the client and creates three or four or five or six. And it also diminishes people respect for what shaman, people's respect for what shamanism can do. It gives them an answer that they can inter, uh, live with immediately instead of giving them the full answer, which will challenge them to rise up to a higher state of healing. And so I encourage you, if you are going to practice as a shaman, to practice as an expression of your deep self. And in that, what I noticed from some people that studied with me in the beginnings, like 20, however many years ago, and many of those people who were really committed to their practice and for a period of time had very successful practices over five years or more moved into a different form of practice. And when I talked with them, they always said, well, you know, blah, blah, blah about shamanism. And I said, no, I feel like you are being the more, more authentic shaman in your willingness to follow the true calling of your soul's purpose. And to listen to your helping spirit's guidance away from being a shamanic healer into something that is more authentic for you. In spite of all the years of training and investment you have and identification that you have around being a shaman. And I always feel that these people are more authentic in a sense than those who just stick with shamanism because that's what training they got. Even if it's not really the calling of their deep self. And so this, I think, is critically important in our shamanic practice is that you find your true self through the experience and through your practices, through your uh, personal practices, and that you want your shamanic work practice to be an expression of that true self that you are finding. So Master Lee also said that surrender is the only way to attain the true desire. And I feel that while this is a very Taoistic belief, I feel this is n- nowhere more true other than perhaps uh, fighting in the fighting forms than in shamanism. Because shamanism, to truly surrender to a shamanic path means you are signing up for profoundly terrifying and painful ego deaths for the rest of your living days, as well as ecstasy and great beauty. But to think that there's one ego death and you're done means you don't have the heart to be a shaman. Because to really get it in those early ego deaths is to recognize, holy crap, I have signed on for this type of experience for the rest of my life. And this is how we actually become a hollow bone, not just journeying, but because we are willing again and again to be emptied to the, to the absolute bone, emptied to the place of thinking I cannot live through another moment of loss and to go to that place again and again throughout your life. That this is the path of a shaman. And so surrender, the willingness to surrender to this is essential. 
And so if this is your path and you're just beginning as a brand spanking new right out of training shamanic healer, surrender to all things that you're helping spirits bring to you. Surrender your contemporary beliefs like you have to charge this much to make your house payments or you want to bill insurance to be seen as a respectable healer or you need to change your name to something that sounds more indigenous. Surrender all of those contemporary beliefs. Surrender to the path as it unfolds in your life. The path of your heart's knowing. And be creative then about how you're going to make that answer you got work in this life. It will very often not be practical, but will be inspired and creative. Shamanism exists because the forms are recreated in every time of humanity. Shamanism has never gone away. It's gone underground, it's shift and changed. But what we must understand is the functions did not change. The forms changed to respond to the times. And there are too many people that are losing the functions because contemporary people don't want to do them anymore. Well, yes, and then you're not a shaman because a shaman understands the functions that must happen just like a good qigong teacher understands the practices that must happen if an unruly human is going to rise and elevate their spirit and to truly align with their soul's purpose that this requires that the functions the archetypal Eternal functions must happen in people's lives, and we cannot let people out of that just because they're contemporary people and everything is too easily found at their fingertips. And so in your practice as a contemporary shaman, be creative about the forms, but make sure in that work you do not lose the functions. And in that, be sure you actually understood what the function was in the first place. Because for most of you, I will guarantee you, you did not get them in your training. You get them outside of the shamanic playpen. You get them from spirit. Another thing that Master Lee said is that everything life brings can only be understood from the space of the heart. And I would encourage any new shaman to make this your, write it in lipstick on your mirror in the morning. Everything life brings can only be understood in the space of the heart. Climb out of your head and climb out of your understanding of shamanism and your psychological interpretation of what is going on for others, for yourself. Shamanism exists in the realm of the Tao. It is a realm that we can only truly understand in the space of the heart. And if you are going to practice as a shaman, I strongly encourage you to come and take um, Awakening the Courageous Heart that I believe this is absolutely critical for us to practice as shamans. This work is very, very important. It's actually happening in June 22nd to the 24th in um, Massachusetts at the Roe Conference Center. And you can register through Roe, R-W-E, through their website or through my website through the calendar in June. But the point is if you are going to practice as a shaman, you must awaken all four chambers of your heart. We have a deep belief that we are good people and that our call to shamanism proves that. It doesn't. No one cares if you're good in this shamanic world. Life calls for excellence, not goodness. The practice requires more of us. If you are called to live as a shaman, you are being called to live a legendary life in the most humble of ways. 
And you can only do this with an awakened heart. And I have yet to meet a new shamanic practitioner with a fully awakened heart. And I have met very few experienced practitioners with awakened hearts. We all live in one chamber of the four chambers of the heart. It's the one that we are most comfortable in. And we get so much praise back from others about how heartfelt we are in our work. And that ultimately we burn that chamber out and we develop heart problems. How many great, beloved, dear teachers have you worked with who have heart trouble? We need to awaken all four chambers of the heart because all power in shamanism is mediated through the heart. So in this path, it is absolutely critical that we awaken the courageous heart. All four chambers must be awakened and their powers engaged to be able to work shamanically over time in a healthy way. And so so I encourage you as a new practitioner to remember that the true self comes through experience and practice. I also encourage new practitioners, especially if you have never left the United States or Europe in your shamanic training, to go sit with indigenous shamans. I'm not saying you have to apprentice with them or do something formal. Just go. Watch them practice. Experience their work and experience them in the work. Ask your helping spirits for how to do even the most practical things about your practice in the beginning, like how to charge, what to charge, all the practical stuff. Ask them, find your way in your practice simply. Make it as simple as possible and build from there. And I encourage you to be in your practice for a few years before you get all involved in manifesting big visions and using the law of attraction and doing your business plan and blah, 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 blah. I encourage you that you be in this practice for years before you do that so that you can find your way. And that you that way the risks of changing your path, if it really isn't the right path for you, are not so high So make sure it really suits you that this is truly your calling before you invest everything in solidifying that structure in your life. So let's say that you are called. You're sure you're called. after Even after all this today, you're absolutely sure you're called. You've got your training. You're ready. You start to work. Now what? So I want to thank Deb for faithfully listening and donating to the show and for her questions. Um, And Deb says, I have no illusions that this is going to be easy or that I will have any real idea what to expect. But I would love it if you would address how a newly trained shamanic practitioner could get good real experience in healing people. I did one thing in the beginning and I encourage you to do this. I challenged my spirit help. I put my foot down and I said, if this is the path, then show me. Bring me the clients that will make me a healer. And then I was open to how that happened. I had another job at the time. I didn't, you know, throw everything in with being a shaman. I I frankly didn't want to be a shaman. So I basically said, prove it to me. I'm ready. I have trained. I can do the work. Um, Prove it to me. And in six months, very organically, without paying very much attention to it, I had more clients, so many clients that I couldn't afford to go to my day job anymore. Now, I have not had as robust a clientele as those first six months since then, 
But the point is, if this is your path, work with your helping spirits to make it happen. Ask them, demand from them that they make it happen. The second thing I would encourage you to do is to find a way to become the village shaman for a very short time. Don't do it forever because in America that will kill you because people don't get it. But then I'm at the end of the show and can't explain what I even mean by that. For me, what happened is I became the resident shaman at the Omega Wellness Center because the spirits orchestrated that happening in this period of time where I said, prove it to me. And for two summers at the Omega Institute, I I worked um, day and night practically as the shaman at the wellness center. But what happened in doing that is I became the village shaman for the staff that works at Omega. And I came to understand what it means to be on call 24-7 and why I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life in America where people have no way to understand that and be respectful of it. But it taught me. You know, the people that trained me didn't teach me to be a shaman. Those clients that came to me in those two years taught me to be a shamanic healer. I got taught through the work, through the people that were willing to come, through the questions that I had to ask on their behalf, and from working with the helping spirits. That's how it happened. And so I encourage you to ask your helping spirits to make it happen for you so that you can have an intensive first couple years of really doing the work and come to understand don't tiptoe into it dive in and drown in it for a couple years and then come up for air come out of the pool dry off in the sunshine have a mai tai and think about it and decide whether this is really the calling of your deep self oh goodness i'm running out of time but those would be the main things that i would say is simply and completely to work with your helping spirits. Follow your helping spirits and understand in that that they will run you into the ground if you do not also ask them to teach you to do what you need to do in balance and follow your passion and understand that doing nothing is better than doing things shamanically without passion. There is nothing wrong with not working for a period of time and gardening and cooking dinner and learning to knit and waiting for your passion to clarify. Now, of course, you've got to try things to get your passion, see what you have passion for. But I encourage you to follow your passion in your practice. And I encourage you as a shamanic practitioner to do this work only for real reasons, reasons that will go with you when you die, reasons that shape your soul. Now, obviously, I'm deeply and wildly biased towards the heart. I truly believe that the power of the soul as it moves through the world is the power of love. I'm deeply biased. I freely admit it. But there are a few other good reasons to be a shaman. Don't follow others on this path. That would be my strongest advice to a new shaman. Do not follow others. If this is your path, it is a unique path and no one has walked it before you. For the new shaman, trusting and following the path your helping spirits lay out for you is paramount. It is the ever-unfolding path. It is in that ever-unfolding path that you will find your confirmation. 
So thank you everyone for listening today. I want to thank the helping spirits for gathering around us, the ancestors, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. So next week, um, we will explore your questions about healing the ancestral lines. We'll look into shamanic understanding of the soul and why there is ancestral healing work to do. So thank you all for joining me here today. And if you do want to register for he- uh, for the Courageous Heart at Roe Conference Center, you can go to my website, lastmasscenter.org, and go to the calendar in June. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week. <laughs>